iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening and uh, welcome back to the Apple Store Soho for another Meet the Filmmaker event. Tonight we're really excited to have director Guy Ritchie here. He's directed films such as Rock and Rolla, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, and the film Snatch. And tonight he's here to talk about uh, the action-adventure film Sherlock Holmes. Everyone's favorite detective returns to the big screen this Christmas, uh, starring Robert Downey Jr. as Sherlock Holmes and Jude Law as his assistant Watson. Uh, we're going to play the trailer for the film, and then we're going to bring out our special guest, uh, Guy Ritchie, and the film's producer is also here. I'll introduce them in a moment, uh, but before we bring them out, enjoy the trailer to Sherlock Holmes. I have a request. Someone I want to see. Sherlock Holmes. Mr. Holmes, you must widen your gaze. You underestimate the gravity of coming events. Tomorrow, at midday, the world as you know it will end. Well, there isn't any time to waste then. Is there? Witness stated that he saw Lord Blackwood rise from the grave. We want you to find him and stop him. That'll take every ounce of my not inconsiderable experience. This may be a hobby to you, Mr. Holmes, but I do it for a living. It does make a considerable difference to me, having someone with me on whom I can thoroughly rely. What was nice to see, Watson? about my methods before I never complain what do I complain about you practicing the violin at three in the morning or your mess your general lack of hygiene or the fact that you steal my clothes be a lady Holmes does your depravity know no bounds no Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming director Guy Ritchie, the film's producer Lionel Wigram joins us, and moderating tonight's event from Entertainment Weekly, please welcome Dave Carger. Here they are. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Appreciate it. Welcome to New York, guys. You've been all over the world doing your all the press tour and premieres for this, so it's nice to have you sitting in one chair for about a half hour. One of the things that makes this film such a fun time is the fact that in Robert Downey's hands, Sherlock Holmes is kind of the rock'em sock'em Sherlock Holmes. Did you guys concern yourselves at all with needing to find a literary precedent for any of this, or were you guys given complete free reign 
you know, to do what you will with the source material here? Um, every single action beat that we did is based on something that uh, I found in the original source material. So the fact that he's a martial artist is based on the fact that Sherlock Holmes uh, killed Moriarty using Baritsu in one of the stories. Uh, the fact that he has a, is a, has a, is a boxer is again a reference from one of the stories. Same with sword fighting, single stick. We were very careful uh, not to do anything that wasn't in some way based on the story. Mm. So, and it's our reinterpretation of, the, of Conan Doyle's ideas. And was that, did you guys kind of anticipate what any purists would say as you were on the set and thinking, oh gosh, what, what's going to happen with this particular scene? Right. I, I guess this is my area. You'll get, <laughs> you'll get, you'll get the real deal in a minute. Um, <laughs> Yes, I mean, the answer is we consulted various experts. Um, there's a wonderful man called Les Klinger, who's one of the t foremost experts in Sherlock Holmes, who illustrated the, sorry, who, who, who uh, published the annotated Sherlock Holmes recently. He knows more about Sherlock Holmes than anybody in the world, I think. I also came to the Baker Street Irregulars dinner in New York City uh, in January of this year, and I talked to a lot of people. They'd read the script online, Les had read the script, uh, we tried to be fairly scrupulous, and uh, you know, we took his advice about anything where we'd gone too far. Near to the beginning of the film, there's a scene where uh, Sherlock Holmes is kind of in between cases. He's finished a case. This new case that the film is about hasn't really come to his attention yet, and he's in his flat, and he's beside himself. He's, he just doesn't know what to do with his life because he doesn't have a case uh, to focus on and to obsess over. Is there any parallel to be made as a filmmaker, when you don't have a project working on, are you kind of flailing about aimlessly and despondent because you don't have something to obsess on? No. <laughs> so how do you then actually devote yes. your time? <laughs> no, I mean it's. Uh, I mean, a project like this is a tremendous amount of fun to uh, to work on from beginning to end. And I think we started this about 16 months ago. Well, I did anyway. Um, Lana and I met about 16 months ago, and um, since I've been on it, I have not been that despondent man. So um, it is, to a degree, it is a bit like that as a filmmaker, yeah. I mean, you can fill your time up with uh, other stuff, but it really is like being on a case, I suppose, making a film. Yeah. Okay, so what are the go-to things when you're in between? Like Xbox? I mean, what, what are the things that you, you'll do to occupy yourself when you don't have a project? I do make myself busy. I do kind of have a life outside of filmmaking. But I've got to tell you, filmmaking is a life. And I suppose it, uh, it offers you almost uh, more than anything I can think of. It's, it's broad. The great thing about filmmaking in itself is, you know, you get, you're technically savvy, or you at least try to be. Um, you uh, obviously, you know, you have to write. Uh, so uh, I learned how to do that a couple of weeks ago. Um, so there's, there's, you know, it's, it's broad. Filmmaking is broad. So, you know, all things, and by the way, the, uh, the longer I've been doing this, the more I realize how much you can get out of filmmaking. The other thing you can do is there's always about three or four hours of downtime on a set. So if you want to learn a language or pick up an instrument, uh, you can end up doing that too. So filmmaking all in all is, uh, I recommend it to anyone, sort of, but I can do without the competition. <laughs> Without getting into any specifics at all, this, the, one of the cool things about this film is that a big yarn is kind of threaded throughout the film and, and explained in, in really impressive great detail at the end. And, and I thought to myself as I was watching the film, as you're putting a script together and a story together, you have a story by credit on this, Lionel. Uh, where do you begin when you have one of these and then it's everything is explained kind of endings? Do you start at the end and work your way back? Do you start with little fun tidbits to focus on and, 
and return to and revisit? How does it all come together? I mean, the answer is we had different people do it different ways. I actually started with the beginning. Uh, for me, it was all about the idea of uh, uh, our bad guy, Lord Blackwood, um, dying in the beginning, uh, being caught by home, being executed, and then coming back from the dead. And that was the big mystery. And um, that's where we started. Uh, when Guy became involved, we, we, we started building on that basic idea, and we, we, we rewrote, rewrote, and rewrote. And with every layer, we made it more and more complicated and, and richer and more complex. Um, if I could add on to that. So what really happens is, is when Lionel first came to me, because Lionel bought the project to me, is that Lionel and I had an empathy about who, who Sherlock Holmes was. I was deeply invested, invested in Sherlock Holmes and Conan Doyle anyway. Um, and Lionel wanted a sort of my take on it. But uh, Lionel and I were, had a sympathetic and empathetic view of exactly how he should be uh, represented, I suppose, in a, in a contemporary fashion. But uh, we always, there was always a, an agreement, wasn't there? There was a kind of collective agreement uh, about anyone that was involved, including Robert Downey, including Jude. And uh, it, it, it was always a, a positive thing in, in the respect that we never had any arguments where we really disagreed from one another. You know, everything would be talked through, thought through, and in the end... You know, people would uh, would fight for a, a kind of an idea, but in the end, uh, you know, we, we'd rattle it until we really found out whether the fruit was going to fall from the tree or not. So uh, it, w it was very much a sort of collective thing, wasn't it? But I suppose that's one of the advantages of coming from someone else's work is no one was too attached to that work and no one had full ownership over it. So uh, it allowed us all to be kind of relatively uh, subjective about it. There are several really terrific action sequences in this film. I have a specific question about them, but before I ask you, I want to show one of them, the bandsaw um, sequence, and then I'll ask you about it on the other side. <laughs> Hold on there! I can't, I can't, I can't. Let me take your weight. Oh. Oh. Give us a leg up, old boy. Oh. Ah. Oh. These German locks always give me trouble. That's one. No matter, we have plenty of time. Holmes. It's not working! Keep calm. Holmes, hurry up! Don't get excited. Turn off that valve. Obviously, what makes something like that work so well is all of the quick cutting in between your actors and then also all of the apparatus involved, the gears, the, the pig flesh, etc. To what extent is that mapped out, shot for shot, storyboarded beforehand, or, or to what extent is it something that you find in the editing? 
No, actually, I think I'll let you answer that one, Lionel. Uh, but before I, before you do, um, that particular sequence actually uh, evolved on the day, didn't it? I mean, we we had a plan for that one, but uh, out of all sequences within the uh, within the equation, you and I were there on the morning, and uh, we had to think up uh, things to do on the day because actually, what was in the script on that day wasn't really uh, ticking the boxes that we need ticked, was it? I mean, we, we had a very interesting process, which is we'd go in every day very, very well prepared with a really pretty decent scene and very often storyboards, as we did in this case. And then we get on the set, and uh, I think one of the great things about Guy is he's relaxed enough and confident enough to actually say, okay, well, what we've got is good, but wait a minute, now we're here, now we're inspired, let's just try this and this and this and do something new. And somehow he always manages to give it that extra little twist right there in the sort of inspired in the moment with everybody there. And that's what happened with us as well. I mean, obviously Robert Downey in, in this great phase that he's in in his career is doing different kinds of films, including more action-driven stuff like the Iron Man films. But it really seems like with this one, he's taking it to a little bit of a different level as far as the real physicality of, of what he's doing. Did he really embrace that? Was that one of the reasons he was excited to, to do that and do that with you guys? Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things I was nervous... There was two things I was nervous about with Robert Downey, and, uh, in fact, they were the two things that I should have been least nervous about. One is is that he has a much better British accent than either Lionel and I. <laughs> uh, and the other thing is is he has 3% body fat, which Lionel is very jealous about. Um, so he's tremendously fit. He's been doing Wing Chun, which is some form of kung fu, I am told, for a number of years, and he's very uh, proficient at it. He's very fit. And I've got to tell you, he's, he's hard, isn't he? He can put up a good brawl, uh, and he's not frightened of getting uh, hurt at all. So the two things I was, uh, I was most um, nervous about were the two things that he was most uh, eloquent in, which was both fighting and, uh, and his British accent. So he, he loved brawling. It's also my understanding that uh, his hair was of, of... That's not his real hair, you understand. He has no hair. Really? He has less hair than me. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> but in, like, there's, a, there's a scene where he's kind of eat, dining with the Jude Law character, with a, a woman that he's kind of wooing. Yeah, he turned up looking like Siegfried and Royd on the first day for that scene. All we needed was a tiger to go with it, and we would have been in a lot of trouble. Um, what, he blew it out himself? Or what? There was a big blowout going on there. Uh, and that was, I think, on the, on the second day. I don't know what happened with it. It was a, it was a funny hair day that day. You know, it's, the smallest details sometimes trip you up on, big, on these big movies. That was not a small detail, by the way. And it's something you have to work You couldn't work miss out. that. It looked like an afro. Yeah. <laughs> so what happens? Does the hairdresser then get taken aside and given a, a, a talking to? No. no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I felt sorry for the poor hairdresser because he'd been instructed otherwise. Um, and he knew quite how disastrous that uh, Siegfried, Siegfried and Royd white man's afro was. <laughs> so he was quite pleased when we put our foot down on it. Well, obviously a lot of people who have seen this movie really are responding to uh, the interplay between Jude Law and, and Robert Downey. And, and the second clip that I want to show is very indicative uh, of that, but then I'll ask you about it afterwards. Holmes, what are you doing? Nothing. Are you wearing a false nose? No. Tell me that that was a false... Holmes! Where are you going? What's that? 
Got some flowers for you, sweetheart. Cut your deal, because you're so pretty. Oh, my lucky day. Mm. And I gorgeous, you got that for me. Now, what have we got here? When you have a film where so much is riding on the chemistry, even non-sexual chemistry between two characters, what's your kind of litmus test? What do you mean by non-sexual? Well, I mean, Watson and Holmes aren't exactly Sherlock and Rachel McAdams. Or are they? Or are they? Oh, okay. All right, so let, let, me, let me start again. When so much of your film is, is riding on the chemistry between two characters, but what, what is your litmus test to, to make you sleep at night that you found the two right guys? I mean, as far as when you're casting and before you're shooting, how, how did you then feel confident that you've got two guys that relate together? Um, we sort of put them together like Indian parents in an arranged marriage. <laughs> and uh, I was the guy that poured them a cup of tea and uh, stood over them nervously. Waiting, waiting to see how the first 30 seconds went by and then I was ushered out of the room um, but it didn't take long it only took 30 seconds before they made friends um, so no as, as soon as they we you know as soon as they got rid of the Indian mother um, then it, it only was a question of time you know about 10 seconds uh, before you knew that the chemistry uh, off screen was going to percolate onto the uh, onto the film on screen and watching the movie, you can tell this is a movie where you guys were having fun. So I'm wondering, what does the blooper reel look like of this movie? Who's, what, what made people break, and who would be on the blooper reel? Who'd be the biggest star of it? There was quite a bit of bloopering going on there, actually. Um, there are no deleted scenes, which I was quite surprised about. Uh, there was no fat on this at all, so whatever we shot ended up in the, uh, wow. ended up in the picture. Is that a first? Uh, it you? is for me, yeah, yeah. I've usually got lots of fat all over the place. <laughs> um, but in terms of bloopers, yeah, we, we had a few bloopers. Who was the culprit, mainly? Lionel. <laughs> I think everybody a little bit. Obviously, Robert is very funny, and he's a natural comedian so sometimes he just couldn't resist having a joke another time he got hit uh, in the face during a during a stunt sequence and that was that was pretty intense um, there were some fun moments with Rachel as well in the scene in the hotel um, where they're seducing each other so yeah there were lots of fun bits like that well there's a great moment where he get uh, Downey gets wine a glass of wine thrown in his face did you kind of tell the camera guys or the sound guys to screw up a couple times so you could throw in a few extra takes of, uh, of Downey getting sloshed, literally. Yeah, we ran out of shirts on that day, and that was the only reason we stopped throwing wine in Downey's face. <laughs> I'd like to know what, uh, what questions we have from the audience at this point. Okay, and there's a yes, mic we do around, have right? a microphone, um, and I'm way in the there's, back. There's one right here. You can borrow my hand. microphone if you want. There's a front row question right now if you, okay. wanna, if you can jog. Oh, here we go. Yes, here we go. Okay. Coming in from the back. Moving around the side. Coming to the front. Top stuff. <laughs> Hi. Uh, this is a kind of pointed question for Guy. Um, you're obviously a really talented uh, action director who doesn't. Right, you can stop there. That's good enough. <laughs> Thank you very much. Next question. <laughs> and your action doesn't take itself too seriously. And I think about another action director, Catherine Bigelow, who's uh, transitioned to 
the Hurt Locker, which is like a Best Picture nominee. And I was wondering if you've ever thought of doing um, action that does take itself a little bit more seriously. No. <laughs> Why not? Um, I mean, you know, I don't think in this case it, uh, it warrants it. And uh, I suppose my sensibility lends itself to, you know, not taking itself so seriously. Um, I, I suppose that's just the, uh, the disposition of a, of a filmmaker. Um, that said, you know, I think if, uh, it, it all depends on the spirit of the film. So uh, in this case, it didn't, it didn't seem as though, you know. In the future, sure. I mean, I, I, I hope, you know, I hope in the next decade or so to make uh, enough films so I can, I can cover a, a breadth of, uh, of, of different films. And I suppose I don't, I don't really know what they're going to be just yet, but I'd like to uh, embark on as many different and uh, disparate projects as I, as, as I could. Over here. I want to see him run. Hello. No running. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the Sherlock Holmes movie. Um, I'm a fan of all your films that I've seen, which is probably like five or six of them. I don't know how many you got. Maybe I'm missing a few. <laughs> but uh, this question has to do with uh, Rock I've and Roller. I've made two films, actually. <laughs> well, at the end of Rock and Roller, it says that there's going to be a real Rock and Roller. Is that actually going to happen? Lionel. <laughs> Definitely. No, I mean, we'd like, it's funny enough, we were sitting on the plane yesterday and we were talking about that, and uh, I love rock and roll. I mean, you know, it's a film that I really enjoy doing. And uh, as long as enough of you go out there and buy the DVD, yes. <laughs> Next question? New? By the way, thanks, mate. Here in the front. Uh, given the uh, body of your work, you seem fascinated with the criminal mind. What is it that fascinates you about the criminal mind? And, uh, and talk about your criminal here, because uh, he seems pretty... Pretty fascinating. I tell you what I'm. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I tell you what I'm really interested in is uh, is subcultures, and uh, you know, at some point criminals get involved in. I mean, it is just a subculture. So I think that's what I'm really interested in, and uh, that's uh, to a degree that's what takes place in this film. I mean, it's a subculture. We're dealing with the occult, and that is a subculture in itself. So uh, Lionel and I spent uh, many a night flicking through black magic books. And in fact, uh, everything that you see in there is taken out of 14th century uh, German books on uh, witchery, if there is such a word. Uh, that's a German word, apparently. Um, so, no, we, we, we took it all from uh, source material. Right over here to your extreme left. Over here. So, hi. Um, so, in your films, you seem to maintain a very unique sort of electric atmosphere, especially through music. I was wondering how you went about deciding what music to use. Um, in this, we tried to stay uh, to some kind of an indigenous period-based uh, music. So, we ended up using, like, for example, that, that was kind of uh, Eastern European gypsy music at the time, of which there was a kind of movement going on at that period. Uh, also, we used a lot of kind of uh, indigenous folk, a lot of Irish stuff. So we st we try to steer away from, I suppose, the traditional, grand uh, music that's you know traditionally portrayed in this kind of Dickensian period, and we went for something that was a bit earthier. You ever think you'd see your name on a poster and have it say at the bottom "Christmas Day"? What, like, my name should be Christmas Day. Well, no, that, you, that you'd put a holiday movie out, so to speak. 
No, it's funny. It's funny you should say that. Actually, I mean, uh, you know, I suppose it's referring back to the question that was asked earlier. I mean, I, I don't really know what I'm going to do next, and the, the fact that we have made kind of a a, a broad and uh, accessible and entertaining movie, you know, that that's uh, as much as a as a happy accident as anything. You know, it's I'm glad that uh, this is a film that just you, you know, a filmmaker can't really tell what he's going to do. He just does what he does. I mean, I've made really inaccessible esoteric movies, and this is the antithesis, really, of that. And I suppose that it just happens on your path. Hmm. Were you concerned with the rating? Did you have to worry about that? Like, what this was going to be rated as you were making it? No, not really. I mean, we, we knew it was going to be PG-13, okay. and uh, we, that's the way we go. I mean, I mean, that's just the way Sherlock Holmes is, is based. Okay. Right down here in the front. Hi. G'day. How's it going? Uh, my question's for Lionel. I was just interested in um, some of your other writing creds, like other scripts that you've written, and sort of what the process has been historically in terms of how many things you wrote and kind of had to disgruntledly push to the side before you started seeing things get shot. Uh, well, it's a good, good question. I've written about seven scripts, uh, none of which have ever been made. <laughs> okay. And they, and, they, and they sit on shelves, and uh, I had to become a producer so that somebody would actually uh, make my writing. Uh, but... Uh, no, it's it's practice. Uh, writing is practice every day, again and again and again. And I, honestly, I learned more about writing from this man and from Robert Downey than I have in 20 years of doing this, and I feel very grateful for that. We have time for two more questions. I see these two people right here. Thank you. Uh, you just mentioned past projects. I was just wondering, uh, how would you compare this film to all of your past projects in terms of scale and also the process of filmmaking and the style of the product? Um, Is that for Lionel or moi? Um, for both. Oh, thanks for eclipsing the ambiguity. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start with Lionel then. Um, well, this is one of my smaller movies. Um, I've, I, I, no, I'm kid, all kidding aside. I, I've worked on the Harry Potter movies uh, for the last ten years. Um, I'm now an, I, I was an executive at Warner Brothers. I bought the the books for the studio, and I'm now an executive producer. And uh, obviously, that was a wonderful experience and gave me the confidence to go out and do this and know, know that I could do this. And one last question right. here. Oh, you I'm sulking because I was second. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can still answer it. I refuse. <laughs> I'll, I'll answer right it for him. I've been a fan of his for, uh, for since uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. We've known each other since uh, before he made that film. And uh, uh, when I first had this idea, I always had in mind uh, that this should be the Guy Ritchie version of a Sherlock Holmes movie. People mm -hmm. would describe, well, how is it going to be different? And that, that was the best way I could describe it. So uh, really having him direct it was a dream come true. Thank you, Lionel. <laughs> Um, hi, I just wanted to um, ask what kind of conversation happens when you're putting, taking a movie about an English, an English kind of cultural figure and you put American actors into the film. Is that when you were talking to people in the, you know, the big fans of Sherlock Holmes and debating about the casting? Is that something that's... I, I think it was a prejudice that I suffered from, uh, actually. And when I first... I was speaking to Robert by default about something else. We were talking, actually, about the trailers for Rock and Roller in America and because uh, his wife worked on uh, Rock and Roller. She was one of the producers. And uh, I was asking Robert for his opinion on who should be Sherlock Holmes. And I was getting hints... Um, but because he was American, it, it kind of it jarred my vision, and I thought, well, listen, there's no American guy that's going to be able to do such a, you know, such a, 
an accent and he's you know he's not that physical guy so so uh, it it didn't occur to me initially and it, I think it was Lionel actually nudged me and went duh <laughs> um, so you know then I found out that Robert Downey Jr's accent is uh, is better than ours and uh, and then he was dramatically physical so it's a really it's a prejudice I mean you have to remember actors are actors and the whole idea is is that they can be someone else and uh, I suppose it was a it was a schooling for me in the respect that you that's exactly why they're that's what exactly why they do what they do is that they can be others be other people and it's actually no no disrespect to you but it's actually rather a naive question but one that i i also asked well i appreciate all the questions everybody and thank you to lionel and guy for being here as well watch the film it's a lot of fun i guess it's coming out as we see in red christmas day have a good night everybody thank you so much thank you very much indeed We want to thank our guests, Guy Ritchie, Lionel Wigram, and Dave Carger. And you've been a wonderful audience. We want to thank you for coming out. The film Sherlock Holmes is in theaters this Christmas, December 25th. Go check it out. We hope you had a good time, and we hope you have a great holiday. Have a good night.